All right, we are recording. Hello, friends out there in heart and hustle land. I am your tribal hostess, Paulette Reese Denis. Welcome to another episode of Heart and Hustle Visionary Healers, Movers, and Shakers. So excited to have my guest, Beth Love, with me today. And we need to talk about good things like food. <laughs> food, one of my favorite subjects. Uh, good. Welcome. How are you, Beth? I'm excellent today, Paulette. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm super excited. Me too. I'm so excited. We are listening to a little rising Appalachia here in the background. The song is called An Invitation. And I just, I really love them and great harmonies. And I don't want to wait no more is what she's saying. So I'm going to fade her out so we can get on with this juicy little tidbit of conversation. All right. We got that going. So Beth's website is called tastes like love and i think that is just delicious right there so so um why don't you tell us a little bit about what what's going on what do you do what is this taste like love huh. okay i'll start there with taste like love well um i um i do a number of different things but one of the principles i write about in my book i write about the six guiding principles for fabulous flavor and the first principle is that energy has a taste. And I absolutely believe that whatever we do, that the energy that we bring to it leaves an imprint in the final product. And it's certainly so with cooking and with so many other things. And so I like to bring love to everything I'm doing so that the final product will taste like love. Awesome. That is fantastic. And I, I so believe that. I so believe that. And if you cook with love, I mean, you can taste it. Yeah. And you, and you take the time and you eat with love. Everything you do with love, right? Everything. Right, right. Yeah, and, the, and the, the reverse is true as well. If you if you come into the kitchen and you've got this cloud of black energy around you and you're just like in a really foul mood, um, I don't think that <laughs> makes the, the food taste very good, yeah. Leave the kitchen now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or chop a ton of vegetables to get your rage out so that you can then show up with love. I have done that, I must say. <laughs> Chop with hostility. <laughs> oh my God. Intentional rage release. There you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new thing. Um, and so, so what? What? You've been on this path for a long time. Yeah. You're a plant based. Uh, yeah. Plant -based coach. Yeah. Well, um, I I actually have had a very varied life. This is my fifth career, but I've been um, studying about and implementing. Whole Foods um, diet, Whole Foods lifestyle for many decades, and the last uh, two decades focused entirely on whole plant foods. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was a um, sort of a side thing or a, um, a hobby for quite a while. Um, but a couple of years ago, I felt a call to leave my previous work, which was I was a, a founder of a New Thought Church, and I was in leadership there for almost twenty years. And I thought I'd be, that would be my work for the rest of my life. I'm an ordained minister, and I, I was running the families ministry, the education ministry for adult learners. I was active in prison outreach, um, in the choir. I was on the board of directors for many years. You know, I, it, was, it was my home. It was my family. But then the universe gave me this boot. It just was like suddenly I had this realization that I really needed to go. I didn't know why, but I knew there was something else for me to do. And 
Um, I believe that the universe uses all of our experiences in creating a ministry that is perfectly suited to us. And so this, um, this thing that had been a hobby for a long time where I had kind of done stealth vegan activism by feeding people really tasty food so that they would know that it was possible to eat food that was really healthy for them and good for the planet and compassionate for the animals without sacrificing flavor. And I had been doing that for quite a while and I had been um, really myself on this path, as I said, for many decades. Um, but yeah, a little over two years ago, I, I felt this call to leave. And shortly after I left, I watched the movie Cowspiracy. And I don't know if any of your listeners have, um, or viewers have seen that movie, but it's, um, it's about the impact of animal agriculture on our environment. And my, my work for so much of my life has centered around children and families. And I have always felt since I was a child myself that if we could find a way to raise our children that was peaceful and loving and supported them getting their needs met, we could change the world, really. You know, like if we raised our children better. Um, but what I suddenly started realizing is that none of that really matters if they don't have a habitable planet. And so that is what really motivated me to go to the next level with this work with the food, was that I want our children to have a place where they can live. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we, we, as a consumeristic society, we keep building and adding and buying and, and surrounding ourselves with stuff. But if we don't take care of what we stand on. Yeah. No. Yeah. I really believe that, you know, both our body temples and this beautiful earth that we have been given our gifts that are worthy of really great stewardship, that, that it, it's our responsibility to be good stewards. And the environmental um, movement as a whole has not fully addressed animal agriculture. It seems to be, and that's part of what the movie Cowspiracy is about, it seems to be sort of a no-touch zone. Like it's, it's more palatable to talk about energy and transportation and their impact on the environment than it is about animal agriculture. But those sectors are not as destructive as animal agriculture. Animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change. It's the leading cause or one of the leading causes of deforestation as forests are cut down to make room for raising beef in the Amazon or raising crops to feed the beef. It's the leading cause of, um, of the depletion of our worldwide fisheries, of pollution in the air, of the water, of soil erosion. And I mean, really, if we don't shift this soon, we're, you know, we're on a course that I don't know what's going to happen, but it isn't very pretty. So I wrote this book, Sensational Salads to Cool the Earth, wow. because I think climate change is one of the biggest issues that's pressing us in our time. And so, you know, the more plants we eat, the more we're contributing to the, to the cooling of the earth. Mm -hmm. And what's really exciting, I mean, like we can get in a real bad downer around all this environmental destruction or political destruction, whatever, but when there's solutions, when there's ways that we can empower ourselves to make a difference, that's really exciting. Right. And what's really exciting when it comes to climate change is that, um, um, is that the, the, the climate, um, the greenhouse gases that are released through animal agriculture, um, there is some carbon dioxide. Certainly that's an issue with animal agriculture, but methane, nitrous oxide, black soot, those are the primary drivers of climate change that 
animal agriculture is producing, they're more potent as greenhouse gases than carbon dioxide, and in some cases hundreds of times more potent in terms of their warming potential. But the good news is they move out of the atmosphere much faster. So while if we change all of our transportation and our fuel use and our energy, you know, like if we change all that up today, it's still not really clear whether we're gonna make a difference in time because carbon dioxide takes so long to come out of the atmosphere. But the black soot is gone. The black soot that's released when they burn the Amazon, that's gone in a few days. And the methane is gone in a, a much shorter time frame than the, the carbon dioxide. Same with nitrous oxide. So we can make a bigger impact by shifting to a, a plant-rich or plant-strong or, or plant-based diet than we can by changing up our shower heads and our, you know, our um, driving a Prius and you know, all the other things that we could do, even riding a bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And I think that a lot of people just don't want to look at that. They don't want to address that. They don't want to. Um, I mean, I've been vegetarian for 17 years and vegan um, pretty much this past year. Uh, and Good for you. I had, a, I had a vegetarian wine bar for a while um, in the middle, middle of a hunting village. So that was very interesting. Uh, but they don't, they don't want to make changes. They don't want to do those changes. They were brought up on hamburgers. Yeah. And they don't want to think about it because they're not out there, you know, killing the, the creatures or doing the, doing the farming or whatever, um, because it's easy to just buy the food in the store and they don't want to make change. And so, uh, but when it, like in my restaurant, for instance, and I'm sure you found this too, I would just serve them really good food. Yeah. yeah. Made with love. That's great. And they'd be like, wow, yeah. this is really great. I'll be back tomorrow. That's great. You know, great, or yeah. then it was, Paula, please teach us how to cook something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I get calls for that too. So that's part of what I'm doing now is teaching people to cook and mm. teaching people to change their diet. Um, what I'm, um, I've really been focusing a lot on health too, because what, what drove me to shift gears and take on this new path um, was the environment and my care for the children of the world and wanting them to have a place. But as I started um, relearning, the health things that, you know, I had studied when I was a kid, a geeky kid, and my mom first turned us on to vegetarianism, you know, um, and really coming to the understanding that it's really clear that the same thing is killing almost everybody in the United States and increasingly around the world as they, as they follow our lead. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing that's killing almost everything, everybody, and it's what's on the end of our fork. So, you know, it's like I, I was talking to people about how, we can choose to put something different on the end of our fork. And it's not just that what's on the end of most people's forks is killing them, but it's taking away our health and vitality for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 or more years of our lives. You know, we're living a lot longer, but that's because of stents and bypass operations and medication. It's not a high quality of life. Right. Um, and, and what's really interesting to me right now is I suddenly started really asking the question, well, how come the same food is on the end of so many people's forks. And we live in this culture that's very individualistic. That's how our country was formed, right? So we, we have this kind of very individualistic streak where we want to kind of go, well, that person's making this choice and that makes, person's making this choice and that person's making this choice. And we kind of want to even blame people for their choices. But what I started doing was stepping back a little bit and taking more of a public health approach where they look at what is the environment that is conditioning people's choices. 
and really thinking about how, you know, we have these incredible bodies. I'm an ordained minister. So for me, it's like, this is a gift from a creative source that has given me this amazing body temple that knows how to breathe, that knows the, the heart knows how to beat, you know, like we're created for perfection, mm-hmm. but we're set up for disease <laughs> by this context that creates a certain uh, normalcy to the standard American diet or its variations, right? So it's normalized. And there's all these different factors that come together that make it such that that's the most likely choice that people are going to make. It's the easiest choice. It's the most expeditious. And it's what everybody else is doing. So, like, I I came to this place where I just want to, like, I know that so many people, they're suffering from heart disease, which is the number one killer, or from diabetes, or from various forms of cancer, or high blood pressure, obesity, um, overweight, these things that are precursors to our worst killers. And I just kind of want to wrap arms of compassion about around everybody and say, you know, like you were created in perfection, but you were set up for disease. This is a setup. And not so that people can feel disempowered and throw in the towel, but because until we acknowledge that there's a setup, then we're less likely to say, I'm going to do something different. And I'm calling it a call to revolution. Like there's, there are huge forces that are benefiting from all of this sickness, that are benefiting from the status quo, that are benefiting, that are making mega bucks right. because people are eating the standard American diet and getting sick, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so we as a people can rise up and say, we don't want this anymore. It's happened before. You know, we, we used to smoke cigarettes, most of us, right? <laughs> I mean, pregnant women used to drink alcohol. My mother smoked and drank when I was in her. You know, I was born in 1957, 60 years old. And, and that's what people did back then. But we've made changes in the past, and we can make this change too. Right. Absolutely. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the revolution is and on. It, and it's not difficult. It's just, it's just becoming more aware, becoming conscious. And and learning, uh, learning a few things. Right. Learning some tools. But opening your eyes to what is really happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Easy to get blinded. Yeah, I think education is really key. And fortunately for us, there's so many great movies out there right now that can really help people. It's kind of an easy, palatable way. You know, you sit still for, or, you know, maybe you have some popcorn with uh nutritional yeast on it or something, but you're, you're sitting there kind of passively receiving this information. And so that's one really great source of, of information where people can learn, mm-hmm. you know, another way. There's a movie called What the Health. I've been collaborating with one of the producers of What the Health. He's been coming to events at my house and talking a little bit about the movie and we've been showing a preview of it. First, I give people a really delicious, delightful, amazing, healthy dinner. Yeah. And, um, and then I give a presentation and we show this clip from this movie and it really, um, it really breaks down a lot of the myths that we're, we're operating under. You know, there are these huge forces, like I said, the meat and dairy industries, the Congress people, the, the different legislators that are in the pocket of the meat and dairy industry, the scientists that are getting their, their money to do research to come up with certain conclusions, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical industry, the, um, the purveyors of fad diets you know, like this whole fad diet around like low carb, you know, and making carbs, which are inherently very healthy and essential for health, whole carb foods, making them bad, 
you know, like there are people that are making a lot of money. And so, you know, what the health breaks down some of those myths and uh, Forks Over Knives is another great one. There's a lot of really great movies out there about health. Great. And then, uh, and then of course, you know, Cowspiracy, if you're interested in the environmental aspects. And um, I, I also um, really love books, and I think there's a lot out in books. This is one I want to share, Metanomics. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh-huh. Yeah, Metanomics. Um, David Robinson Simon, he breaks down all of the costs um, that are hidden, the hidden costs of the animal agriculture, of meat, dairy, eggs, and fish. Because, of course, these foods are subsidized. Many people don't know that, but even though they're really unhealthy foods, there are these subsidies that were created at a time in which the government was laboring under the illusion that, that we really needed these foods. And so they started subsidizing these industries. So there's actually direct subsidies. If, um, if producers of milk, for instance, produce too much, as happened in the 1980s, when people started becoming aware of how saturated fat is really toxic for our health, and they started buying like skim milk products and things like that. Well, the government bought all the full fat stuff from the, from the dairy farmers, which just encouraged them to keep, it took away the, the, um, the natural economic um, forces of demand. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what's that word? Demand and whatever the other part of that equation is so that they could just keep making, producing as much. And the government stockpiled it at the cost of millions of dollars in these catacombs that were refrigerated. And the government, of course, famously fed these high-fat products to people that were on government subsidy programs like the lunch program. And um, at one point, the government even paid the farmers to kill some of the cattle because they were making too much dairy for the demand. And so the farmers took the money, killed the cattle, and then raise some more because the government was going to keep paying them for the surplus. So things like that, those costs are not borne by somebody going down and buying their Big Mac and McDonald's or their glass of milk or whatever. And then the cost of the environment, the cost of health. So what David Robinson Simon does in this book is he breaks down all those costs yeah. and he comes up with a figure of $414 billion um, a year that is being, um, paid for by the American taxpayer, mm -hmm. but not paid for in the cost of meat. It would cost $12 for a Big Mac if all those costs were actually in the cost <laughs> of the meat. <laughs> That's what it should cost. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, and if it did cost that much, then consumption levels would go down, exactly. which would help people's health and help the planet and, of course, help and the animals. For 99 cents or whatever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's quite some research. Yeah. So, um, I love how passionate you are about this. I love it. And, and you're doing really, really important work in the world. And that's awesome. Because um, people do need to hear this. And they, they need to be presented it. And presented it with love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and to have their eyes open to what is really going on. That's so great. So, you know, part of this series is Heart and Hustle is you do this because you're passionate about it. Right. So it's following your heart. Like you said two years ago, you got downloaded to, <laughs> to take off on this direction. And how yeah. fabulous is that? Yeah. And what has been for you as an entrepreneur, uh, what has been some of your obstacles, your hustle that you've had to to um, get your book out or to get where you are today? 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, first of all, you know, I was in a church. I was in leadership in a church. And before that, I was running nonprofit organizations. I've been in nonprofit all my adult life, um, with the exception of certain summers when I would take a summer job or something. So business was entirely a new animal to me. And so I, I really, I mean, I just, I, I didn't even know where to start. And that's, you know, you met me through Thrive Academy. And that's one of the reasons I signed up for Thrive, because I needed to learn about business. So that, first of all, was just like, like, how do I do this? Um, niching has been really problematic for me, because um, one of the things I loved about my old job is I got to do everything, you know. I got to work with the little children, who are one of my favorite populations, the teens, I got to I got to go to the state prison and help men with their that you know men on in many cases that were lifers who had murdered people to really do their own deep interpersonal their in, intrapersonal in, intrapersonal work to do the transformation that would be necessary for them in some cases it helped them to get the parole board to let them go even though they were supposed to be in for life you know just these all these different exciting things that I got to do and so picking one population and one thing that I do is still challenging me. And so for, for those of you watching who don't know what a niche is or what, what Beth is talking about is when, when you have a, a product or a, a focus of your work, as in like in my particular style of coaching and in what Beth does, you want to have your niche, your niche, um, who, who is going to be most benefited from your work who do you want to reach out to the most I mean there's a couple ways to look at it um, uh, what is your who is your work meant to be for yeah. uh, instead of saying oh I want to just serve everybody well in your case in your other job you could serve a lot of different people but in this job it's it's pinpointing who you want to serve who's your perfect customer right. who's gonna, uh, who wants your what you have to offer right yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's been an ongoing challenge. And, you know, when I first left my um, faith community and my job, I, um, I had two niches mm -hmm. and that proved to be pretty challenging and because um, it required two websites and, you know, two, <laughs> two newsletters and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but uh, so, yeah, so as far as I've gotten down now, is like my, the primary people that I'm excited about working with, are people who are dealing with either significant health challenges or who have um, risk factors for disease mm -hmm. and realize that what they're eating is not helping and they want to find another way to eat. And so I, I give them like very wraparound support. I'm, I'm qualified to support them through the transformational stuff mm -hmm. because just education is not always enough. Knowing what to eat is not always enough. You know, we're dealing with addictions in many cases. Right. The most addictive substance, I believe, in terms of food is cheese mm. because any dairy product is addictive because the, the, um, the protein in dairy is casein. And when you, when you digest casein, it turns into casomorphins, which attach to the, morphine, the opiate receptors in your brain, the same receptors that um, heroin and other opiates wow. attach to. So like if you, if you are just feeding it a little bit, like, well, I'll just cut back, but you continue <laughs> to eat a little, you know, like then when you say, I'm just going to eat that one piece of pizza, you can't. 
you physiologically cannot eat just that one piece of pizza. Wow, I never thought about being so, addicting, but there you go, people. Yeah, so I can help people with transforming their addictions. Mm -hmm. I can help them give them really practical skills for how to um, how to make really delicious food that's not only super healthy for your body, but also um, helpful for the planet and all life kind. And I can, um, you know, just kind of whatever they need. I can give them recipes, meal plans, um, support with how you use the knife, you know, the energetic aspects, the prayer, you know, so that's kind of one of the things that really excites me the most. Mm. Um, that's what I've been doing for the most part. I'm kind of in another transition. Um, I feel like this, this last two years has been, you know how when you're in a relationship, sometimes you pop a very, very long-term relationship. Sometimes you pop out of it and you pop into a rebound relationship, which in many cases serves you and helps you learn something, helps you grow and might be really sweet, but it's not your next long-term. And I kind of feel like I've been in this re rebound relationship after leaving my faith community uh -huh. and doing a lot of work one-on-one -on -one with people and with small groups. I had a 30-day health challenge that I've just run four rounds of where people could prove to themselves in 30 days the, the changes in their health by adopting a whole food plant-based diet. I mean, I had people losing weight and having their cholesterol levels go down, their blood sugar equalize. Uh, it's all kinds of great stuff, higher energy levels, better digestion, constipation cleared up, you know, things like that. Um, arthritis goes away. Arthritis, yeah. I had one person who had this terrible, terrible pain and inflammation in her back, and it, in, within a few weeks it was feeling better. So uh, moods, uh, ch change in mood, clearer, clearer thinking. I mean, there's so many valuable things that people can experience in even less than 30 days. And it's been so fun, and I've been teaching these really amazing culinary classes. I call them culinary, C-O-O-L-I-N-A-R-Y, because we're cooling the earth. So we have these great classes like Kraut Shop and kick, Copious Kick-Ass Carbs and Desserts in the Raw and um, a Vegan Cheese Please. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I have people coming in from other places in the country. Most of the time it's people in my living room, in my, my kitchen in my living room. And um, I have some coaching clients, and it's all been fun. But what I what I realized right around Christmas is I'm not having a big enough impact. Yeah. Like the stakes are really high, and I feel really called to make a bigger impact in my lifetime. So what I'm doing right now is I'm kind of taking a little pause and looking at how can I how can I take this passion, these skills that I have, and reach more people. And I have a couple of ideas. Um, one is that I really need to develop my like, I'm pretty well known now in my community. I've been in the newspaper a couple times. I've been on community television around here on the radio. You know, so people are like, I'm the go-to whole food plant-based lady for Santa Cruz, um, <laughs> which is great. But really, I'm looking now at, like, how do I build my presence and my credibility and my visibility and my service more broadly through social media, through the internet, through ways that I can reach out, and how can I create programs that people can participate in from wherever they are? And how can I play some kind of a um, facilitative role in these movements that I'm a part of? Because there's multiple movements. There's the whole food plant-based movement, which is primarily about diet. And then there's the vegan movement, 
which is primarily about a social justice issue having to do with animals and the treatment of animals. And there's some other related movements as well. And how can I bring all of us together who are maybe coming from different ideological perspectives, but we're all wanting to see people eat less animals or no animals or less or no animal products. And we're wanting to see people eat more plants. And how can we all come together to implement some bigger solutions that, that go to those upstream factors? Again, like there's reasons the food got in the end of people's fork. And I can one person at a time or one small or large group at a time help people change what's on the end of their fork. But how can we collectively change those factors that put that food on the fork? And that's what's really exciting to me. Mm -hmm. wow, it's terrifying because it's so huge because it's taking on special interests that are used to having their way. Mm -hmm. But it's, that's what really excites me is like, I believe together we can take that on because the stakes are high and people are dying. It's not right. It's not spiritually aligned. Let's put it that way for all of this money to be being made at the expense of our earth, our bodies, and the animals. That's awesome. That what you just said, that should be like your main headline. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, wow. I love that you're doing this. And um, I'm behind you all the way. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Paulette. I appreciate that I love so it. much. Well, yeah. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking out there, those of you who are watching and listening to us. And where you stand in this? Um, what's your belief around this? And, and how do you eat? And how do you honor your temple? How do you honor the animals? How do you honor the earth? You know, are you conscious? Are you aware of what's going on? Is this news to you? Um, I mean, some of this is news to me. Of course, I've been in this, you know, uh, belief system for quite a long time. I'm, I'm there, and. Uh, it's so important. And Beth, what you're doing is just great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also interested if people have questions, you know, I, I love to field questions. I think that we've been so indoctrinated into some of these really big myths, you know, like when I talk to people, you probably know the question that people ask when you say you're vegan or plant-based, right? What's the first question they say? Where do you get your protein? Exactly. <laughs> Bingo. People, Where do you get your really? protein? Seriously. Yeah. There's protein in everything we eat. Yes, exactly, exactly. But there's reasons that we believe that we um, cannot get an adequate diet if we're not eating animals because that's the indoctrination that we've had, right? That's what people tell us. That's what we've been taught. Because there was a, um, when protein was first discovered, it was realized that it was the substance that our bodies were made out of, that our muscle tissue is made out of protein. So there was this assumption that hasn't proved to be scientifically correct, but has proved to be very destructive in terms of human health, that because we're made out of protein, we need to eat a lot of protein. And so the levels of protein, the minimum daily requirements were set really, really high. Mm -hmm. 
And even though over the years it's gone down, down, down to where the World Health Organization figure is um, something like 30-some grams a day, and that original figure was something like 190 grams a day. So even though it's been down, 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 we still have this big idea in our mind that protein is the nutrient of primary concern, and that protein equals animal products, that meat equals protein. So, and, and now there's this habit that I hear people saying that I just, it's like I have compassion for people, and I understand how they got there, but but they say, like, what protein are you having? Or, you know, like, you can choose whatever protein you want. And then what they mean is meat. Or you can eat, you can choose beef, or you can choose chicken, or fish, or eggs. That's your protein, right? Well, what's packaged with that protein is saturated fat, cholesterol, heterocyclic amines, which are carcinogenic. Even the World Health Organization came out last year or the year before saying that, um, processed meat like bacon and ham and hot dogs and luncheon meats um, are, um, are carcinogenic. They're uh, car as carcinogenic as plutonium and, and uh, nicotine. And, and red meat is also the health World Health Organization said is carcinogenic. So there's all this stuff in there. It's not just protein. It's protein, saturated fat, cholesterol, toxins, antibiotics, hormones, all this stuff, none of which is good for human health. And even the protein, animal protein, not just the animal products, but animal protein, an increased consumption of animal protein is associated with several types of cancers in many studies. So the, and, is, and if, in the case of dairy protein, is highly addictive. So we've been brainwashed. Mm -hmm. and, and yet it's very persistent. I noticed myself even like, up until recently, I would, maybe a couple of years ago, I would sit down at the table and I would look at my plate and I would go, is there enough protein on here? Like, maybe I need to put some hemp seeds on here or whatever. You know, like, it's, it's really thick, this indoctrination. But really, literally, all plant foods have amino acids in them, and our body is quite capable of putting those amino acids together into the protein that we need. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you need to get out there more, Beth. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I'd love to. Um, I'd love to promote another one of my heroes, Garth Davis, Dr. Garth Davis. He wrote the book Proteinaholic. Oh, there so you go. <laughs> if people want to learn more about protein and how we've been bamboozled through protein, that's another good resource. And then um, Neil Barnard, Dr. Neil Barnard. I love. Do you know Dr. Neil Barnard? He wrote the foreword to my book, and he's he's one of the. Um, He's one of the best known experts in the field of plant-based nutrition. And he, um, he does research into diabetes, original research and things like that. And um, he, um, this is his latest book, The Cheese Trap. And he talks about how cheese is addictive. And, um, and he's, he's written many, many books, and all of them are super highly readable. Really have good. you, um, I'm sure you have, Rich Roll, Rich Roll. Have you, do you know Rich Roll? I do. I do. He's, um, I, I'm not as familiar with him. He's, a, he's, he's vegan and super athlete. And so he talks That's a lot right. about That's how coming back to it. Yeah. He can be this super great athlete, hiker, you know, right. whatever, and still be vegan and still be strong and super healthy and even more. Right. Um, right. I, I love his podcasts. I love who yeah. he's too. So there's some great, there's lots of good stuff that's really coming out. Oh yeah, it's, more more. it's yeah, it's really the the movement is is moving, and yeah, 
Yeah, the athlete thing. I mean, there's this parkour, um, this parkour star. I can't remember his name, but he's um, he's on this 80-10-10 raw food diet. That's a very specific diet. It's 80% carbohydrates, 10% fat, 10% protein. And um, most of the people on the 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 raw variation of the 80-10-10 are endurance athletes, or you know, parkour. That's the one where they're leaping off buildings and flipping over and all that stuff. He's got all this muscle, right? And he's eating mostly fruit. I mean, his diet is mostly fruit, you know, and, and people are saying, well, you know, I need to be big and strong. I need energy. Right. You know? And it's like, what are the biggest, strongest mammals on the face of the earth? What are the biggest, strongest mammals on the face of the earth? Um, elephants. Elephants. Yeah. Herbivores, plant eaters. Yeah. You know, giraffes, hippopotamus, you know, they're getting all of their energy from plants. And it's kind of common in our movement to say, skip the middle animal, mm -hmm. eat the plants yourself, you know, it's healthier for your body, better for the earth. Great. Great. Yeah. So show your book one more time. Okay. Here's my book. It's buried in this pile of books. Sensational salads to cool the earth. I'm, it's in the taste like love series. I'm working on the second one right now, which Ooh, is desserts good. in the raw. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And is that available um, through your site or on Amazon or? Yeah, Amazon or any online retailer should have it. Um, and uh, yeah, people in the Santa Cruz area can get it directly from me and I can sign it for them. Nice. But, um, but other than that, um, yeah, any, any online retailer should have it. Great. I noticed on Amazon they had a, they had a deal. They were selling it. Um, uh, they had 16 copies that were cheaper than I can get it myself. They were under... <laughs> They were under $16, $6 a piece, and I'm like, how, and they were new. I'm like, how are they doing that? I want to talk to my print and distribution partner and find out how come Amazon can get it cheaper than me. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, I, have a free, um, I have a free gift that's uh, recipes, several recipes from this book as well as recipes from the upcoming books, and it's uh, like a little sampler that people Ooh, can get nice. by signing up for my mailing list. Nice. Well, I want you to cook for me <laughs> and I'll cook for you. <laughs> okay, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, maybe at one of these thrive events, yeah, we'll get together and make some food. Oh, that'd be fun. So, um, anyway, so you people, friends out there, you can sign up on Beth's website and get, you know, information on her book and get, are you doing a weekly blog or? Um, yes, I am. I missed last week cause I, um, was out of town uh, visiting my dad, but I have committed to blogging weekly. Awesome. And um, yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm working on some other ways to to get the word out there. I haven't uh, I haven't figured out my strategic um, plan yet, but that's what I'm working on. Um, I might have some ideas for you. Okay, great, great. I've been doing a lot of that for a long time. So um, wonderful. Um, okay, so thank you. For thank you, Paulette, for being here, and thanks for doing what you do. And I can't wait to see what you do next. <laughs> That's going to be just really good. And um, thank you, everyone out there in Heart and Hustle Land. Again, um, Beth Love. And I am Paulette Reestini, your tribal hostess. Movement, Momentum, and Magic is my transformational lifestyle coaching uh, name. I am here for you. And thank you for being part of this series and for listening into this episode. Let us know what you think. Absolutely. And I will make sure to give you all of Beth's links so you can go over and join her on, on the crusade <laughs> or the revolution. The revolution. <laughs> Woo! Love it. All right. Thanks for being here. Until next time. 
I'm going to put this uh, Raising Appalachia song back on for us. Thank you so much, Paulette. Really appreciate you having me on your show. So great. So great to have you. And I'll see you soon. All right, everybody. Thank you so much.